0: We're reading this morning from 1 John, chapter 5, verses 1 to 12. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is a child of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves his children, too. We know we love God's children if we love God and obey his commandments. Loving God means keeping his commandments, and really, that isn't difficult. For every child of God defeats this evil world by trusting Christ to give the victory. The ones who win this battle against the world are the ones who believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus Christ was revealed as God's Son by his baptism in water and by shedding his blood on the cross. Not by water only, but by water and blood. The Spirit also gives us the testimony that this is true. So we have these three witnesses, the Spirit, the water, and the blood, and all three agree. Since we believe human testimony... Surely we can believe the testimony that comes from God. God has testified about his Son, and all who believe in the Son of God know that this is true. Those who don't believe this are actually calling God a liar, because they don't believe what God has testified about his Son. This is what God has testified. He has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. So whoever has God's Son has life, and whoever does not have his Son does not have life.
1: you, Rob. Uh, Nicole is our preschool director, and uh, tomorrow is a big, big, big day as we pre-register for September. Uh, the beautiful flowers in front of you this morning uh, are in memory of Mrs. Uh, Frieda Radke. Uh, Rudy, Rudy uh, Radke, his mom passed away. The funeral service was here on Thursday of uh, this past week, and uh, we do appreciate the flowers this morning. When I started to do some writing uh, on this message, it was Tuesday, I guess, and we had uh, 16 medals in Sochi, and uh, I think perhaps we wanted to own the podium with a few more medals, gold medals especially, and we were anticipating some things could, uh, by chance, happen at the end of the week, Uh, the women's curling, and then uh, the men's curling, and uh, then the women's hockey... And that was uh, incredible, that's the women's, here. there's the men, and uh, this next one is the women's hockey, and they had a fantastic game, and uh, then, of course, the men's hockey this morning, uh, by the way, how many of you actually did get up, whoa, whoa, whoa. how many are tired right now, <laughs> how many want a short sermon, <laughs> oh, Good. <laughs> you were just too kind. And the men's hockey, it's, it's no secret uh, that uh, the, uh, it was a dominant performance this morning, a wonderful performance. And uh, So, uh, Pastor Norbert, I know, is, is it right now we have 25 medals in total, and 20 of them are gold? No. <laughs> Ten of them are gold. Ten of them are gold. We'd love to have 20. Uh, and the women's hockey team, I have to say this, that was one of the most thrilling games, I was at the end of my office, my office is at the end of the bank of offices, and and I was following, and when they scored that overtime goal, there was a roar that came out of that last office there that rippled, they, I mean I'm usually pretty subdued, but uh, there was a little fire there I'll tell you, so uh, we do have some awesome, awesome athletes in Canada. We're very proud of the way that they have performed and they've owned the podium once again. We have a grandma in our midst. I I don't know if she's here this morning. Stella Little. Stella, are you here this morning? I don't see her. She has a granddaughter uh, by the name of Jenny who was the pilot of Canada 2 Bobsleigh. I think it should be just a slide ahead, Lucas, uh, and you'll get a picture. Jenny is on, on the right. And uh, she just she didn't get a medal, but she did a very wonderful job. I think scored about 11th. So many of the um, of these athletes have uh, truly been overcomers. You, You get the stories as you listen of of this person who has surgery had surgery six months ago, or somebody just got out of the hospital three months ago, or and you know that they are battling through. Uh, with some uh, tremendous pain, uh, but they have amazing grit and determination, uh, and there they were in Sochi, and they were giving their best. They're overcomers. We want to talk about that this morning. Uh, being an overcomer, and uh, here we are, getting very close to the end of First John. What a book! What a book! I have uh, a renewed appreciation, uh, having never preached this book through from uh, chapter 1 to chapter 5, just, you know, preaching messages, but never having done a series, I have a new appreciation for 1 John. Uh, What a book. It's an incredible letter from the pen of uh, John the Apostle. And so if you're just joining us, we have been in a series of messages uh, from 1 John. The author of the book is uh, probably 90 to 100 years old. Amazing. And after uh, Jesus died and uh, uh, rose again and ascended into heaven, one of his followers, John, became a pastor. And probably all of his uh, other disciple friends were murdered except for John. He continued on as a pastor for many, many years. He lived a long life, a life completely dedicated to sharing the message of his dearest friend, Jesus Christ. And the letter he now writes is near the end of his life. And he writes to these churches in Asia Minor, and his heart is to help these young churches navigate through all the false teaching that has come their way. And the major issue that John deals with is the identity of Jesus. Some were teaching that Jesus was not God come in the flesh. So John presses home the point that Jesus Christ is God, who became a man, that Jesus was both human and divine, And everything depends upon who Jesus is. And friends, isn't that the truth today? If we ever reduce Jesus to just being a good man, or if we ever reduce Him to just being an amazing teacher, I mean, all the air pressure comes out of the tires, and we are flat indeed. So John is very clear on who Jesus is, that He is the Son of God, that He is God, there's a couple of other major themes that John wants to elevate through his letter. He addresses the issue of sin. And he basically says, if you love the Lord your God, you will hate your sin. You'll want your life to change. You'll stop doing the things that you've been doing and you want to start doing the things that you know to be doing. And then John wants to emphasize the importance of love. And that's the hallmark of his whole letter. And my guess is that John was so taken back with what he saw happening in a very divided church, that he gave a, a lot of thought as to how he might be part of ending the feuding and helping the congregations to regain uni- uh, unity. And so again and again, he affirms the importance of love. Now this morning, I hope you have your Bible with you uh, and you can follow. We're in 1 John chapter 5, verses 1 to 12. And it seems to me that there are four areas that need to be underlined as we hear what John is telling us. And those four areas flow out of our personal faith and trust in Jesus Christ as our Savior and leader in life. And when you come to know Christ, when you come to believe in who He truly is, that He is the Christ, that He is the Son of the living God, then I think these four things emerge. Number one, the domino effect. Number two, the overcomer's victory. Number three, the agreement of the witnesses. And number four, the assurance of eternal life. So let me just walk us through that. The domino effect. Verse 1, chapter 5, sets us up. This is kind of like the umbrella sentence that everything else proceeds out of. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has become a child of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves his children too. The New International Version renders it: everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. Now the key word here is the word believes. The underlying word. And this is John the writer. He also wrote the Gospel of John. Uh, In the Gospel of John, in the original language, this word is used no less than 98 times. And it's usually translated believe. Sometimes it means trust. Sometimes it means uh, commitment. Never does it mean mere assent to an idea. It usually means a complete commitment to something. No better than example than the the Olympic athletes, in whatever discipline, completely, completely committed to their discipline. So John is very focused to tell us that everyone who trusts in and commits their lives to Jesus as the Christ becomes a child of God. You're born of God, he puts it that way. There are two births. You ha- we have the, the, the first birth is, is the physical birth from your mother's womb, but the second birth is the spiritual birth, being born of God through believing in Him, not just mere assent, but through a commitment of your life to Him. So a follower of Christ is one who trusts in, relies on, is committed to Christ Himself. Now when you sat down on the chair this morning, uh, you, you had faith that that chair would hold you up. And we've been sitting standing and sitting and standing and sitting and I don't think you even thought about it when you sat down on the chair you just believed that that chair would hold you up I never saw anybody pick up the chair and examine the legs examine the back and say I wonder if this is going to be okay today you just believed that the chair would hold you up in this case when you believe in Jesus Christ you commit yourself to that person you you put the weight of who you are on that person You give yourself to that person, Jesus. Everyone who believes Jesus is the Christ, meaning Jesus the Messiah or Jesus the Anointed One, whoever believes and then commits themselves to this person is actually born of God. I'll just have a hard time getting my mind around that at times. Is born of God. Now here's the domino effect. One domino bumps another. First we believe who Jesus is, that He is the Son of God. That domino falls in the direction of the Father, telling us that when we come to know the Son of God, we are now in a relationship of love with the Father. Whoever believes loves the Father. And then we see the next domino fall over and remind us that because we love the Father... We also love His children. This is how we know that we love the children of God, by loving God and carrying out His commands. Jeremy Bowen is the presenter of a new uh, documentary on Jesus uh, with the BBC. And he wrote this. The important thing is not... uh, what he was or what he wasn't. The important thing is that people believe him to, to have, believe him to have been. The important thing is that people believe him to have been. Okay. A massive worldwide religion numbering more than 2 billion people follows his memory. And he writes, that's pretty remarkable for 2,000 years and going forward. Now, when you look at that statement, it sounds rather complimentary, doesn't it? But Bowen couldn't be more wrong. Who Jesus is and what he did is the very foundation of our faith. It's not just that he was an amazing legend of history and that a lot of people acknowledge him as the one of the great, great leaders in all of history. And we kind of tip our head to him. No. Our relationship with Jesus Christ actually leads us into a relationship of love with the Father, and into a commitment of love with one another. Uh, I am so impacted by verse 2. We know we love God's children if we love God and obey His commandments. How do you know you love the people that are seated around you this morning? Wives, how do you know that you are loving your husbands? And husbands, how do you know that you're loving your wives? And children, how do you know that you're loving your your parents? And friends, how do you know that you're loving one another? How do we know that as a church we're loving one another? That's quite a question. This is how we know that we love the children of God, John says. It is the fact that we love God. Yes, the answer is that we love God. I'd never really put it in that configuration before i had to think about that sometimes we think you know i've got to be more concerned about loving my husband or i got to be more concerned about loving my wife am i loving her enough i've got to make sure that i'm loving my kids enough or my friends or the people in my small group or my co-workers or my neighbors how am i going to make sure that i really love them and care for them like i should and the primary answer is Love God. Love God. It's a wonderful insight from the scripture. Love God. Love God. How does that work? Well, if God loves you and you love God, you will love other people. It's the natural overflow. It's amazing how this works. Husbands or wives, you know, when you see your spouse walking with God and delighting in God, doesn't it do something for you? It's so inspirational and you know that as they're loving God you're going to get the overflow of that love into your, own, into your own heart. We're supported. We're a team. When I see my family walk with God when I see them follow His direction and they're obedient to Him that is something in my life because when they love God they also love me. So the best thing you can do to love your family is to first of all focus on loving God. The most impactful thing you can do to love the people at your place of work because they may be tough to get along with is to love God in your own heart. And it will change most of it. You love God and you give yourself completely to Him and it will be amazing how God fills your heart with love toward the people in your life. You know, sometimes as churches, we haven't been uh, as, as uh, open and cooperative as we might with one another. We haven't loved other bodies of Christ as we should. We haven't supported one another as we should because maybe there's a little difference between us. Uh, maybe there's a there's a difference over uh, some secondary thing matter of doctrine Uh, so we've watched train wrecks over secondary issues of doctrine we've watched train wrecks over music and worship styles and I'm so glad that most of that I think is behind us Uh, and we've watched us form into little huddles here and there and uh, Satan looks at all of this and says that's perfect I love it when they shoot each other because it it saves me a lot of work. I just watch them wound their own. I don't even have to get up. Just sit down and watch the fun. How do we come together? How do we all come together? Love God. Oh, and verse 3 says, Loving God means keeping His commandments. Did you see that? And His commandments are not burdensome. One of the best ways to love God is uh, is to obey him. You took some vows when you got married. You said you would be true to those vows. As I look back on uh, all the weddings that I've performed over the years, I've had some interesting things happen on wedding day. I remember one young man got so sick just before he was supposed to walk in with the rest of his men, and he's supposed to walk inside, and the gals were going to come down the center aisle and. But he was so sick, he ate some pizza the morning of his wedding. A pizza that uh, they had eaten the night before. The guys had gotten together, and they had eaten this pizza the night before, but they forgot to tuck it back into the refrigerator. So in a in the hurry in the morning, he grabbed a piece of unrefrigerated pizza, and he got, oh, so sick, food poisoning. But he made it to the wedding, but he was so sick, and he he was hooked up to an IV just moments before he walked down the aisle, and he took it off. He couldn't stand during the ceremony, so the groom sat on a chair, and the bride decided that, well, I'll sit on a chair too, and uh, weddings, you know, can be a lot of fun and can be tense, and sometimes you have the flower girl, where did she wander off to, and she's gone, and but I've never had a bride or groom say, I'm not taking these vows. You're asking me to do what? Take those vows? No way. No, they all understand the vows. They might have written the vows. They certainly are aware of the vows. And the, the, the reason they receive the vows is because they love one another. And they have decided to commit themselves to one another for better or for worse. And those vows are a way to care for one another. And so John says his commandments, his instructions are not burdensome. When you love God and you're committed to his son Jesus, it never feels burdensome. Uh, When I look at this church body and having been a part of it since day one, I I say this honestly, honestly, it has been such a delight. I know we look back and uh, we worked hard But I don't know if you understand this. It never seemed like we did. I know we faced huge challenges. But there's a part of me that feels like it doesn't feel like we really did. His commandments are not burdensome. I think whenever you are seeking to follow the Father and do His will, you find that His direction, His commands are not burdensome. And I just think that God might be birthing something so big and so challenging in your life these days. Ah. And you might be saying, I don't even know if this is doable. It is doable if God is in it. It's not going to drag you down and cause you to go into distress mode if it's of God. I'm not saying it will be easy. I'm not saying it won't take a huge effort but somehow you will move through it and not be overly spent. I think that's how it is when God leads you. You might be asking, God, where do you want me? Where could I make make my contribution to your kingdom? Because I want every week and every month and every year to count. Just continue to ask Him. And if He gives you a bigger assignment than you ever thought that you wanted... And it is from Him. And you know it's from Him. You just say, yes, Lord. And even though it may be challenging, it will be oh so rewarding. You know what's burdensome? What's burdensome is not following in the will of God. That's burdensome. You know what is burdensome? Disobedience. You know what's burdensome? Steering off into the ditch and getting involved in things that hurt the heart of God and then having to live with picking up the pieces and living with the consequences. That's burdensome. So the domino effect is beautiful. You really trust Jesus and you commit your life to Him and you'll be born of God. You'll have the Father's love in your heart and when you have his love in your heart, you'll be able to love the people that God has put in your pathway. And the challenge of walking with him and obeying him will not be burdensome or grievous, but filled with challenge and fulfillment. It's awesome. And John reminds us of this wonderful truth, the domino effect. Secondly, the overcomer's victory. We're in verse 4. For every child of God defeats this evil world. And we achieve this victory through our faith. And who can win this battle against the world? Only those who believe that Jesus is the Son of God. I do like the NIV rendering, verse 4. For everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. I don't want to negate the fact this morning that we we face a battle in this life. There is a battle royal that's going on often. Satan sizes us up and says, Ah, best mode of attack on that guy is a bunch of fear situations. That'll get him every time. Or this guy over here, uh, I just have to press the anger button and he explodes. Or that guy back there, I just have to to turn on the computer computer and, and get him to look at those images, and I have him on his knees, I've rendered him helpless, I, I, I've got him full of guilt, he's powerless. Or that gal over there, I just need to take her shopping. She loses it. I just need to give her a little competition, and she gets jealous, green with envy. So John recognizes the battle in all of our lives, but his word of encouragement is, that we can be overcomers I read the interesting story of a Civil War veteran who used to wander from place to place just begging for a bite to eat always talking about his friend Mr. Lincoln because of his injuries he was unable to hold a steady job and uh, one guy said to him one day you say you knew Mr. Lincoln Uh, I doubt it I'm not so sure you did and the old man replied, he said, why, sure, he said, I can, I can verify that. In fact, I have a piece of paper here that Mr. Lincoln himself signed and gave it to me. And from his old wallet, he, he took out this old much folded piece of paper and he showed it to the man. And he said, you know, I'm not much for reading, uh, I apologize for that, but I know that's Mr. Lincoln's signature. And so they kind of gathered around in this little group and they looked, they looked at it, they looked at it. And then finally one of them said, Man, do you know what you have here? You have a generous federal pension authorized by the president himself. You don't have to walk around like a poor beggar. Mr. Lincoln has made you rich. It seems to me that that's the sentiment that John is echoing. When you came to Christ you gained access to the power and deliverance of God Himself. And in Christ, God signed His name and said to us, I hereby give you the victory through your faith. And everyone in this room has that promise. Who is it that overcomes the world? How am I going to live an obedient life? How am I going to overcome the world and the flesh and the temptations And my emotional frenzy and my anxious, stressed out mind, how am I going to do that? Jesus. Jesus. Let's not complicate it, let's not add to it. Do you know him? Do you love him? Has he taken away your sin? Has he opened your eyes so that you can see the love and the goodness of God? The answer is not in human philosophy. The answer is not in human psychology. And I'm hopefully balanced here that I believe in psychology and I believe in therapy and I believe in counseling and I do. But it doesn't outrank the transforming work of Jesus The answer is not in human politics and government. The only name that we sang this morning, the only name. Our only hope is in Jesus. He is the source of our hope. That's how we're made new. That's how we are given victory over the world system and sin and rebellion. When Christ reigns in our hearts and our minds are renewed, our fears are taken away. The renewing of your mind is what Paul says in Romans 12. We can think God's thoughts and we come back into the place where God intended us to be as we journey with Him. We are being restored and transformed. Do we all have a battle? I think so. But let's remind ourselves of what John said in in verse 5. And who can win the battle against the world? Only those who believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Is it a growing process? I think so. The better we come to know and love Jesus Christ the easier it is to trust Him with the needs and battles of life. Where do we start? Start at the important beginning by spending time with Jesus in a quiet, personal place, getting to know His heart, reading the Scripture, listening for His voice, and then committing yourselves to obedience. The domino effect, the overcomer's victory, and then thirdly, the agreement of the witnesses. The next section verses 6 through 10, is one more statement by Grandpa John to validate who Jesus is. And we have to hear that for what it is. It's an attempt to validate who Jesus is. He brings in three witnesses to testify of the identity of Jesus. He felt that was necessary because he was getting hammered uh, from outside forces. All this false teaching that was prevalent in his culture and in the church. And verse 6 says, And Jesus Christ was revealed as God's Son by his baptism in water and by shedding his blood on the cross. Not by water only, but by water and blood. And the Spirit, who is truth, confirms it with his testimony. So we have these three witnesses the Spirit, the water, and the blood, and all three agree. There are differences of understanding. I'll just be up front, as to the three witnesses. Uh, What is the water? I see the New Living Translation assumes it is baptism. It is a reference to the baptism of Jesus. Now, not all would agree with that translation or that interpretation. Some would say that it refers to the birth of Jesus, that you're actually born of water. Jesus was born of water. The blood is generally felt to refer to Jesus' death because blood usually typifies death, and the Spirit obviously refers to the Holy Spirit. Now what it says is that these three are in all agreement. His birth or His baptism, His death, His resurrection are all in agreement, and the Holy Spirit is in agreement that Jesus truly is the Son of God, that He came to the world, took on Himself a human body, died on a cross, was resurrected, and ascended back to the Father. And John is really reminding us of the ways in which God has presented His Son to us. And we should take note that He is not just another man, that He is the God-man. Because look at how He came to us, the water, the blood, and the witness of the Spirit. And just like the rest of the testimony of humans, here is the testimony of God. And when you believe in your heart that this is true, you have a confirming sense that all of this is in agreement with what God has said. And then finally, the assurance of eternal life. And verse 11, and this is what God has testified. He has given us eternal life. And this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have God's Son does not have life. One thing you have to admit when you look at those verses is that uh, John couldn't get any clearer. I mean, he puts the puck in the net. Now, my time is gone. Let me just cut right to the heart of this and say, John has been reminding us of who Jesus Christ is. That he is the Christ, the Son of God. That was necessary again because of the heresy that had come to knock on the door of the early church. However, that is not all that John was implying. And I want us to make sure that we catch this before we close. These two verses make that very clear. All of this relates to us as well. It relates to eternal life. It is not only about Jesus. It is about us. And since life comes to us, eternal life, through the blood of Jesus shed for us on the cross, For us to deny who Jesus is, for us to deny the work of Jesus Christ on the cross, puts our very salvation in jeopardy. There is no remaining neutral with respect to your commitment to Jesus Christ. You do or you don't. You do or you don't. You have committed your life to Jesus or you have not. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have God's Son does not have life. So we're reminded of three things. Number one, eternal life is a gift. That He has given us eternal life. John says that, that Jesus has given us eternal life. This gift is from God. It doesn't come as a result of hard work. We don't receive eternal life because we were the best We were the best athlete of the bunch. We worked the hardest to get to the podium. It is not the result of achievement. It isn't even because you have worked hard in the local church. It isn't because you've been baptized. It isn't because you have become a member. That is not where eternal life comes from. It is a gift from God given to you. Because you trusted Christ as your Lord and as your leader. You committed your life to Him. You asked Him on the basis of who He is to forgive your sin and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. So it's a gift. Eternal life is a gift. Secondly, eternal life is sourced in a person. This life is in His Son, John says. This life is in His Son. Christ alone is the source of our salvation. The worship song says it well. In Christ alone my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, and my song. And then thirdly, eternal life is a present possession. Whoever has the Son has life. If you have Jesus in your life... You have life right now, present possession. It is not, I hope I've done enough. Will I ever make it? Uh, As I mentioned, Rudy Ratke's uh, mom passed away. Wonderful celebration here on Sunday. And you know, she was not fearful to go home because eternal life was a present possession. Jesus was in her life. That gave her the confidence to say, whatever you call, Lord, I'm ready to go. I'm ready. Nobody gets to heaven and says, wow, that was a close one. I wasn't sure if I had enough to just get over the line. Wasn't sure about my timing. Wasn't sure if uh, I'd polished things up well enough. None of us will be there on our own merit. Only the merit of Jesus Christ and Him alone. John also says, whoever does not have God's Son does not have life. We should not neglect those words. No one can remain neutral. Either you have eternal life or you don't. There's no in between. When I say these words this morning, I'm only the messenger. But I must say them. These are the words of John. This is the heart of Jesus. He has come for all. His heart is that all would receive the wonderful gift of eternal life offered in who He is and what He's done. That all would receive. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have God's Son does not have life. You don't almost have heaven. You don't almost have purgatory. You have hell. You say Ken that's pretty offensive But it is the truth Regardless I'm being the messenger Four great truths From the passage The domino effect The overcomer's victory The agreement of the witnesses The assurance of eternal life So may God give us ears to hear And hearts to obey and confidence to walk with him, praise in our hearts for Jesus, who is the Christ, the Anointed One, the Messiah, the Savior of the world. Amen. Let's stand together. Lord, Lord, would you allow these words to find lodging in our hearts and minds this morning? Help us to hear you and say, I believe. I believe you are the Christ, and I trust you. I give myself wholly to you. And if you're here this morning and you've never said yes to Jesus, you could simply pray, come into my life, Lord, and lead me from this day forward. Forgive my sin. I want you to be front and center in my life. And I believe in you. I commit my life to you. By the merit of Jesus I receive the gift of eternal life. So Lord uh, across this auditorium hear our cries hear our prayers see our hurts see our challenges and may we Listen to your still small voice in Jesus' name.